And so this morning, what we're doing is we're bringing to a close this series that we've been in about fresh starts. And I hope it's been a blessing to you. It's been a blessing to me. It's been a blessing to think about how do you have a fresh start with God when you make bad decisions in life? Because I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life where I've made some really bad decisions. I've made some things, make mistakes. I've sinned against God and my family and friends. And I need to know that I can start over. I need to know that I can have a fresh start. I need to know that even though that there are things that are hurtful in the past, they don't have to define me now. The things that were done in the past, I can let go of through the power of forgiveness. I can have a fresh start from that. I need to know that, that, that there are things that might hold me back in life from experiencing the goodness of God, and I can, and I can work through that, and I can have a fresh start. And I can have a fresh start over my fears that I don't have to check out from this world and be distracted, that I don't have to give in to things that waste my time, but rather be engaged with the Lord. I can have a fresh start. And today, what I want to talk about in just a simple way is how do you have a fresh start with God? Because if you've not had this moment, you may have this moment where you just need a fresh start with God. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And one of the things I noticed is that throughout the Bible, there are so many examples of people who needed a fresh start with God. I mean, it is like a a litany of stories and lives where people needed a fresh start with God. For example, if you go to the story of Adam and Eve, they needed a fresh start, right? After eating of the apple. You take Noah, for example. He needed a fresh start after getting off the boat, getting drunk, getting naked, and his kids seeing them. You really need a fresh start from that site. Abraham needed a fresh start after lying about his wife and pretending she was his sister. Moses needed a fresh start after killing an Egyptian guard. Samson needed a fresh start after being fooled by the deceitfulness of Delilah. Ruth needed a fresh start after losing her husband and everything she owned. David needed a fresh start after his affair with Bathsheba and causing the death of Uriah. Zacchaeus needed a fresh start after cheating so many people out of all their money. Paul needed a fresh start after persecuting Christians. And Mary Magdalene needed a fresh start after being possessed by demons. And who can can forget, though, Peter? The rock, the leader of Christianity, the one who God's going to build the church upon. You know, before assuming that role, what happened to him? He became a denier and a rejecter of Jesus. He needed a fresh start. And in fact, today, we'll actually look closely at that story. We'll look closely at who Peter is and the fresh start that he needed today. But before we dive into that story, what I want to do for just a moment is take a look at why. Why do people need fresh starts with God? What happens in our lives that cause us to have to hit the reset button? What happens in our world than through the experiences in this world that may require us to have a fresh start with God. What takes place that leads a person, for example, to walk away from God? What happens in a person's life to turn their back on God? What happens that you experience such distress or pain that you would have a distance in your relationship with God? So let's do this first. Let's go back to something Jesus said a couple weeks ago. And what I want to do is look at that verse for just a second. And we're going to look at what Jesus said a couple weeks ago. 
and why it's so important when it comes to having a fresh start with God. So if you got your notes, will you go with me to John chapter 10, verse 10 for a moment? And where I'd like you to read it together. We've read it before, but let's read it together. I know it's a familiar verse, right? But let's read it together as a church. Ready? One, two, three. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus comes to give us the abundant life. Will you circle that word destroy for just a moment? Jesus comes to give us life so that we may have it into abundance. But there's an opposite force that's working against Jesus, and that force is the thief who is Satan, right? And what does he want to do? He wants to kill, steal, and destroy you, me, the church. He wants to rob us of the abundant life that we have that comes from Jesus. He wants to destroy the joy that is the Lord's. He wants to weaken you in the faith. He wants to strip you of all your hope and confidence, right? But ultimately, his ultimate goal, and I've come to really embrace this idea over the years, is if Satan can do one thing for you and for me, it's this. Destroy your faith. He wants to destroy your faith. So if you're taking notes, you can write that in the blank. God, Satan's ultimate goal is to destroy your faith. Why? So that you will walk away from Jesus. He wants to destroy your faith so that you will turn your back on Jesus. You begin to think that Jesus is an unnecessary part of your life. See, Satan, he knows Jesus very well. He knows Jesus extremely well. He knows that Jesus, watch this, is never going to give up on you. He knows that. He knows that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He knows that he'll never turn his back on you. He knows that his love for you is never based on your performance or your faithfulness. And more than anything else, Satan knows that Jesus will never stop coming after you. That's how much he loves you, right? So since Satan can't stop Jesus, and he can't deter Jesus, you know what he's going to do? He's going to work on you. And he will work on you to destroy the very little faith that you have in him, in Jesus. What he'll do is he's going to use things in this world to wreck our faith, to destroy the confidence we have in Christ. I was thinking about this earlier, right? See, if I wanted to destroy something, right, there are different things I could use to destroy something, right? I mean, think about this. If I really wanted to destroy something, I could set it on fire, right? That could be one option. If I wanted to get really wicked, I could pour acid on it, okay? All right? If I was slow, I mean, if I was patient, right, I could put it under extreme weather conditions and let the weather do the trick, right? But if I really just wanted to get down to it and get the job done, I could blow it up. Right? I can use an explosive to blow it up. There are different ways to get at the same goal. Right? Well, that's the way Satan works. Satan uses different things to accomplish the same goal. And so let me give you three of them. I'm going to give you three things this morning that you can see in your own life. I've seen them in my life. That how Satan likes to work to destroy our faith and confidence in Jesus. Number one. Distraction. Distraction. I know I talked about distractions last week, but I'm going to go from a different angle this week. Distractions, okay? In C.S. Lewis's masterful book, The Screwtape Letters, there's this great scene where Screwtape, who is a higher-up demon, right? He's, the, he's kind of up the higher chain of demons, right? 
He's writing a letter to his nephew, Wormwood. And he's teaching them how to win back, quote, his assignment, right? His patient, right? Who is a recent convert, and I love this, Lewis says, the enemy, the enemy being God, right? And so he's writing this letter on how to win him back, right? So he'll reject his faith. Now here's what Screwtape encourages Wormwood to do. Screwtape encourages Wormwood that you don't need to get the patient, right, to get all wrapped up in vile and evil things. You don't have to do that, right? You don't have to do that. Instead, right, what you need to do is get them distracted by good things. Get them distracted by the simple things in life. So, for example, he tells you a story. The patient, the, the one he's trying to win back, right, is at the public library. And he's reading. And in the course of reading, he's reading about the war that's coming. He's thinking about life and death. He's thinking about some very, you know, deep, meaningful things, right? He's kind of lost in his thoughts. And what he tells him to do is this. Don't let him go deep. Don't let him think about what God wants. Don't let him think and ponder on what God is doing in the world. You know what you do? Here's what you do. You get him thinking about lunch. You put the thought in his head, Wilkerson, let's hold this discussion of what's deep and meaningful and go get a sandwich instead. And so he places that thought into his brain that he's hungry. And he should go get lunch and she should pick this back up later. But you know what happens, right? If you don't take the time to do it now and you get distracted with something else, do you bring it back up? No. You tend to go on with the go on. You get distracted. This is what happens to us all the time. That's the devil's way of saying something is more important than God. So think about it this way. Let me give you a practical example. Okay? Number one, how many times have you missed worship because of a distraction? Just think about that for a second, right? How many people are missing worship this morning because of a distraction? They're not doing something evil. They're not doing something vile. They're not doing something sinister and heinous, right? They just stayed out too late doing something else. Or they slept in. Or they wanted to watch something on TV. Think about that. Think about how often people just simply miss worship Not because it's something evil, vile, or heinous, but just simply because of a what? Distraction. How many times, right, have you gone to pray and you were distracted by work, by family, by kids, by your cell phone, by email, by a text message, or social media, right? You're sitting down, you're praying, you're thinking about things of God, and something shows up on your phone. And you're distracted. And you think that's more important than your time with God. How many times have you gone to read your Bible, but laundry called your name? How many times have you gone to read the Bible, and like, you're thinking about God's Word, and then all of a sudden your brain goes like this. Squirrel. There it is. (laughs) Right? How many times have you started to meditate on what God wants you to do, and then something happens? What are they? They are simply what? Distractions. And Satan will use every distraction known to man to take us away from God. How many times have you gone to serve the Lord, but something is always getting in the way? There's always an excuse. There's always something at work. There's always something with family. There's always something, right? And what Satan loves to do is build excuses into your resume. So you can't serve the Lord. 
And it's one distraction after another that leads to a culminating effect on your faith. So let me ask you, anybody need a fresh start from distractions today? Think about that this week. All right, number two, doubt. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, seeds of doubt? How many of you have heard that phrase before, seeds of doubt, right? See, this is what Satan loves to do. We plant seeds of hope and grace. Satan plants seeds of doubt. Seeds of doubt are the enemy's favorite tools when it comes to wrecking one's faith. Because you've got to remember something about the Christian faith. The Christian faith is built upon two premises. They're in your notes. I want to give them to you. It's built upon two premises. Number one, the truthfulness of the story. And two, the faithfulness of God and his promises. Your faith is built around two simple premises, right? That the story is true and God is faithful to his promises. Let me, let me set it in a different light, right? So, so our, our faith is built around this grand narrative from beginning to end in the Old and New Testament of God coming into this world to rescue people he loves. And our entire faith is built around the story of Jesus coming into the world to be the savior of the world, right? And it's all precipitated by the love that God has for his people, right? And our faith is built upon that we actually believe that that story is true. And what Satan wants you to do is to not believe that it's true. Or he wants you to doubt the faithful promises of God. That God makes a promise, but he's not really going to keep it. Let me give you a couple examples. This is what happens to a gentleman by the name of Lee Strobel. I don't know how many of you know who Lee Strobel is, okay? Lee Strobel is an incredible author. He's an evangelist. He's an apologist. He's a pastor. He used to be a journalist, right? He owns his own media company. And uh, there's actually a film that just came out recently about his life called The Case for Christ. And he wrote a series of books called Case for Christ, Case for Faith, Case for Easter, Case for Christmas. He kind of likes Case because he was an investigative journalist. And then um, Case for Miracles. And in one of his books, he tells this simple story, and it really resonated with me. And here was the story. He said, I was a junior in high school. I was a junior in high school, and I was sitting in biology class. And one day, we started learning about the theory of evolution. And as the theory of evolution was taught in my, my junior high class, I came to this very simple conclusion. Here it was. If evolution is true, and we are created out of nothing, right? We're created without needing a creator. And we don't need a God to create us because of evolution. Here was his thought. If I don't need that, then I don't need to worship it either. And that seed of doubt was planted in his heart and mind. That if this is true, and God is unnecessary for creation, then God is also unnecessary for worship. And that led him on a 20-year journey of being a, a, a devout atheist. That is until his wife came to Christ, and God used his wife to bring him to Christ. And it was a remarkable story. But that's all Satan has to do, is plant a seed of doubt to the truthfulness of the story so that we walk away from the story. It's also the case that if that's not going to work, he'll use a different angle with, with, with doubt, right? Doubt can also take hold when we experience disappointment in our relationship with God. How many of you have ever been disappointed in your relationship with God? How many of you have ever been angry in your relationship with God? How many of you have ever experienced um, that, that moment where you thought God has let you down? 
God has failed you. It's okay. It's okay to be honest about that, right? Because those are real things. We really experience those things, okay? From, from this human limited perspective, right? You can read the book of Psalms and they're everywhere, all right? And so we have these moments, right, where disappointment then leads to doubt. And the experience of disappointment usually follows this train of thought. Watch this, okay? I'm just going to give you a train of thought that happens for people sometimes. We'll start off with what we call, you know, we'll, we'll just say, here, here's, here, here's, here's just an example, okay? I am a believer. I went to church every Sunday. I was an active member. Then one day my loved one got sick, and it was really serious. So I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And I asked everyone I knew to pray. And I put my loved one on every single prayer chain that you could imagine. And as I prayed, I really believed in my heart that God would answer my prayers and heal my loved one. And then my loved one died. And I was left disappointed. Why did God not answer my prayers? And that disappointment led to being disillusioned. And that disillusionment led to anger. And now I was angry with God and I began to doubt. Does he really love me? Does he really care? Does he really keep his promises? Does he even exist? Anybody need a fresh start from doubt today? Number three. Despair. You know, the last tool of the enemy is the one that leaves a person kind of just wrecked on the inside. Okay? It's the one where everything, nothing is well in my world. You know how we sing sometimes this song, It is well with my soul? Okay? I remember one time a speaker getting up on stage. We had just sang that song, It is well with my soul. And I remember the very first words that came out of his mouth because I'd never heard a speaker ever say this, but I was grateful for it. He looked at the whole crowd and said, I need you to pray for me because my soul isn't well. My soul isn't well. That's the place of despair. Despair comes from a different place, right? It leaves us feeling that God has rejected us, that God has abandoned us, that God doesn't love us, and that our sins are too great. It can come from all kinds of places. For example, people can, come, people can experience despair when they've had a medical emergency. I've known friends, I have friends in this church, who go through despair because they're in chronic pain. Or they've experienced the trauma of abuse. You can go through despair when you lose your job of 20 years. You can go through despair when you walk through the, 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 the shame of bankruptcy. You can go through despair when you've had a home for 18 years. But because you lost your job and you couldn't pay the mortgage four months later, you're out on the streets. You're in despair. I've seen people go through despair because of divorce or a broken relationship with a child. I've seen people go through despair because of habitual sin. They're stuck in an addiction. They can't break free. They've got a repetitive sin in their life. They've prayed. They've asked for deliverance. They've asked for God's help. They've asked for strength. And they keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And they get to the point of like, why bother? I've seen people experience despair because of the death of a loved one, especially a child. And I've seen people experience despair because of betrayal. 
They were betrayed by their spouse. They were betrayed by a family member. They were betrayed by a friend. And sometimes, yes, they were even betrayed by their pastor. Despair. And this is what happens to Peter. If you will, go with me for just a moment to to the story of Peter. And I want to walk you through this. I want to show you how Peter needed a fresh start. Because his life had hit this point of despair, right? Here it is. Um, Go with me to to, to the book of Peter here for just, I'm sorry, to to Luke chapter 22. And I want to show you this, right? Here's what Luke tells us. This is the night that Jesus is betrayed, right? Then they seized Jesus and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter, he was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, had sat down together. Watch this. Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said this. This man, Peter, he was with him. I saw him. But Peter did what? Denied it. Saying, woman, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him. And he said, wait a minute. You, you're one of them also. But Peter said, no, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, so an hour passed, Still another person insisted, hey, this guy right here, Peter, he was with them. He's a Galilean also. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And as the words come out of his mouth, immediately, while he was still saying them, a rooster crowed. And the Lord, who was being interrogated and on trial by the high priest, Turns his head, looks out in the courtyard, catches Peter eye to eye, and Peter knows. Peter remembers. Peter sees it, experiences it. He remembers Christ telling him that before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me not one time, not two times, but three times. And it happens. Now watch this, verse 62. And he went out and what church? Wept bitterly. That's despair. That's the lowest you get. That's when your soul is wrecked. That's when everything in your life has come crashing down around you. That's when you've hit that breaking point and there's nowhere else to look but up. That's that point, right? When your spirit is crying out for relief. It's crying out for help. And sometimes I think we don't let ourselves just weep bitterly and cry over the situation and allow ourselves to experience the reality of what is going on in the moment. I need that. You need that. We need that. Why? Because it puts us in a place for a fresh start. It puts us in a place now where God can restore what is broken. And that's exactly what he does. Watch this. The story of Peter could have ended up very much like the story of Judas. You know, Judas betrayed Jesus also. And in that betrayal, he takes his own life. He ends it. That could have happened to Peter easily, but it doesn't. Instead, we see Jesus coming to Peter. See, every fresh start with God always begins with God coming to you. Every fresh start 
always begins with our acknowledgement that we need God and he's right there because he never leaves us or forsakes us. It always begins as God comes to us and speaks words of grace into the moment. Watch this. If you want to experience a fresh start, here's how it works. Number one, Jesus restores the relationship. Jesus restores your relationship. It's Easter Sunday. The disciples are all packed back up in that upper room. It's the first day of the week. The doors are locked because they're afraid of who's going to come in. And Jesus comes and he stands right there with them. And what does he say? Does he say, what a screw up? No. Does he say, what's wrong with you? Does he say, I can't believe you betrayed me? Does he say, you're out? No. What does he say? Peace be with you. In the desperate moments of our fresh start need, Jesus restores our relationship by saying to me and saying to you, peace be with you. Not once, but twice. Peace be with you. Now as the Father sends me, so I send you. Jesus restores our relationship so that we know that we're okay. That peace is the peace that comes from knowing that Christ was sacrificed on the cross for us. That peace comes from knowing that our sins are forgiven. That peace no- it comes from knowing that we are justified by faith through grace. That peace comes by knowing that everything is okay between me and God. That whatever was broken, whatever was messed up, whatever needed a fresh start, it's happening. It's here, it's now, and I can grab hold of it. And in that position of a fresh start, now God does something really cool. He doesn't just leave you there, right? He now says this, let me give you a calling. This is what he does for Peter. It's a little bit later. Peter and the disciples are doing what they know how to do. They fish. It's early in the morning. They've been fishing all night. They go back to the beach side. Guess who's there? Jesus. And Jesus sits down with his disciples and they're eating some fish and they're breaking bread together. They're having a meal Jesus has restored the relationship, but now he's going to give Peter a call. He looks at Peter and he asks him a very odd question. He says, Peter, do you love me? Right? You know, this is less a test and it is a confession of faith. He's he's asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. I really do love you. And he could say that with confidence because God has restored the relationship He's given him peace. And so now Peter can look at Jesus and say, yes, I love you. And Jesus says to him, not once, not twice. Oh, yeah, three times. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you, Lord. Then do this. Feed my sheep. See, restoration brings calling. And now God calls us to serve him. Jesus gives you a calling through your fresh start. He doesn't simply leave you alone. He now says, let's work together. Let's embrace this beautiful, restored relationship as we live out our calling to share the gospel with the world, to bring love to the world, to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the world, to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. And here's what's really awesome is then, and he doesn't stop there. If you go a little bit further, 50 days later, Peter is in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit now just comes on everyone. And in this incredible scene, right, Peter is there, the disciples are there, the Holy Spirit has filled the room, right? He's standing before several thousand people. 
And watch this. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. I used to deny them, but now I'm going to preach them. Watch this. Let all the house of Israel, let everybody know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. Now watch this. Thousands of people came to Jesus that day. Why? Because God gave Peter a fresh start. He restored the relationship. He gave him a calling. Now watch this. He demonstrated his faithfulness. So that in the midst of doubt, God's faithfulness is real. That in the midst of wondering, does God keep his promises? You see it in your life every day. He does. He demonstrates the faithfulness of his calling, his word, and his gospel message for Peter and for all of us. So I am grateful to tell you, can you have a fresh start with God? Absolutely. It's here for you today. It's here for you tomorrow. It's here for you in your seasons of doubt. It's here for you in your seasons of distraction. And it's here for you whenever you despair. God gives you a fresh start today and every day. And we all said together? Amen. 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 Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you this day for your fresh start. And I just, my, my prayer is simple. Like, if there's anybody who needs to have a fresh start with God today, that you'll just confirm it in their spirit and their heart today. Make them feel and rejoice and be over glad. Make the knowledge of Christ as Lord and Savior just reign over them today. May they, may they understand and believe the words that you have spoken to them today, that they have peace with God through Jesus on account of the cross that you keep your promises, that your calling upon their life is real, and that you will demonstrate time and time again your faithfulness in their life. So that when they are discouraged and they doubt, they wonder and they question, you are there. You are there. In your name we pray and we all say together, amen. Amen. amen.